Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. Yeah, and welcome to episode two of season two. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about something a bit different. We also say that about every single episode, so who really knows? But (laughs) it's true. Yeah. But we wanted to start to look outside our usual scope and into the sides of medicine that are not always at the forefront of our mind or even in our medical education in general. And there are many roads we could have taken to go down this path, that path that goes out of our MD-focused medicine box. But for some reason, my mind just like automatically went to acupuncture. And I don't really know why, because before researching this episode, I knew absolutely nothing about acupuncture (laughs) or traditional Chinese medicine, let alone the influences they have on women's health and how they all weave into one another. But what I learned was really interesting, and I'm super excited to share with all of you. But before we get into that, what do you know, Alicia, about acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, their ties to women's health, or anything? forgot that we did this part. Um, what do I know? I don't know. What do you know? Okay. I know that acupuncture is, uh, the use of like needles to gauge pressure points on your body. And the pressure points are supposed to be like areas where energy gets like stuck. And so we use the needles to apply pressure to help your chakras like flow. Mm-hmm. I've had acupuncture done to me actually. I forgot really? until just this moment. What? Yes, <laughs> on that alternative spring break trip, I went on to oh, New Orleans. You had acupuncture done? Yeah. Then? What was it? Yeah, like? but it was really minor. Um, it was these like tiny, tiny little needles, and mm-hmm. they barely put them in. And I, you can't feel them when they're in, but when they're on your face, which <laughs> we did have them on our face, and when you like laugh or something, like they can kind of like feel weird or maybe like a twinge of pain I don't think you're supposed to be laughing you're getting acupuncture done probably not it's probably supposed to be like relaxing (laughs) yeah oops but that was what it was I mean they swear by it there like where we were um it was like this transitional living center for patients and they say that it helps them a lot Mm -hmm. with their pain management and just like their symptom management and so that's pretty cool, but I personally didn't feel any different after, but also I probably didn't go into it with a mindset that I should have right. gone into it with. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's like way more than I knew about acupuncture. I knew, <laughs> I knew that there was needles and needles went into the body and did something. I didn't really know like literally anything else. So we're going to talk about what I learned. Are you ready to get into it? Learning. Learning. Proud of you. Yes. <laughs> let's do it. Okay, so let's get into it. So I must say, I usually don't have such a hard time researching a topic, but for some reason, this one was very difficult to find information on. I think this goes to show the lack of attention that alternative um, forms of medicine, such as acupuncture, are given, which I don't really understand because the way I've always viewed traditional medicine is that it is passed down through generations or taught from master to apprentice for a reason. People do not continue to do things that do not work, especially for centuries. So there had to be some reason that people were doing acupuncture and why it was still practiced or any form of traditional medicine. 
especially acupuncture, which has been around for a millennia. Or at least historians believe, because there's actually not much consensus on when acupuncture began, which may explain why it's kind of hard to find a lot of information on it historically. But according to a journal on alternative therapies, a practice known as needling may have begun in the Han Dynasty around 113 BC, so a long, long time ago. Where, that is a long time ago. Yes, many thousands of years ago, where, <laughs> where fine needles were found that may have been used for a variety of purposes, but that doesn't mean they were maybe used for acupuncture. Historians mm-hmm. suggest that they could have been used for draining abscesses, so like stabbing a little bump on your body, draining all the fluid out of it. Hus. I know. <laughs> Fun, but it makes sense. Or any other surgical procedures. Yeah, but there wasn't like a lot of evidence to show that needles were being used for acupuncture itself. But Mm -hmm. as we talk about acupuncture, you're probably wondering like, what what even is acupuncture? Like Alicia kind of said what she thought it was and she's pretty much right. But like, what is it in terms of like traditional Chinese medicine and as like a medical Mm -hmm. practice? Mm -hmm. And I know I thought of, like Alicia said, that you're laying there on a table with needles in your back. And that is like exactly what it is. But what what does that mean? Like what's happening? Why are there needles in the body? Stabbing. What what are they doing? (laughs) Yeah. They're not stabbing you, but it it looks like it. Right? Like what is happening? So to answer that question, I just need to explain a couple theories of traditional Chinese medicine. The first one being the concept of energy traveling through the body. This theory is not unique to Chinese medicine because it is described throughout many cultures and throughout a lot of ancient medicine. But for Chinese medicine, it is, I think, pretty well known. And Alicia, do you know what it's called? The energy that might travel through your body? Oh my God. Is it called like yin? Close. Did I just make that up? No. <gasps> Wait, stop. <laughs> is it called? No, I don't know. But when you say it, I'm going to know. It's chi. Gee, oh my God. <laughs> I'm so upset. Wait, this is so funny because it's like a callback to our first episode ever where we talked about Avatar. But like, do you remember in the second season of Avatar where he had to open up all of his chakras to like oh. let his chi flow so yes. that he could break? I mean, if you don't want spoilers, skip through this part. But like <laughs> the part where he had to open up all his chakras so that he could release himself from his earthly bounds and go into the avatar state whenever Mm -hmm. he wanted, but he couldn't do it because he loved Katara too much. Yes, exactly. That was his chi. Chi. (laughs) Chi. Um, All right. So that energy is called chi and it is a form of energy that is in the body and and, and it is dependent on your balance between yin and yang. So you were close. It kind of has to do with yin. okay. But yang, two, both of them together. I knew there was an (laughs) I involved in the name. (laughs) All right. So that energy is called chi. And it is a form of energy that is in the body. The Tai Chi symbol, which is a circle divided by a curved line, black and white. I'm Mm -hmm. sure everyone knows what I'm talking about. And we actually have talked about yang before on the podcast. If you do a little throwback to the birth control episode, where we spoke of coitus reservatus, where a man does not ejaculate during sex so he can save his yang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And yes, it's his yang, not his yin, his yang, because yang is said to be masculine. It is thought of Mm. as being a very active force. It's firm, strong. It's very full 
your yang is the heat and metabolic processes happening within your body. So when you have like really strong yang, you are considered to be energetic and powerful. But if you have too much yang, then you can become inflamed. Or if you have too little, you could become cold and exhausted. So it's this Mm. process that flows through your body. And if you have too much in one area, you know, be hot and inflamed, not good, too little, you might have some fatigue, be extremely tired. Oh, interesting. Wait, I'm sorry. I have a question. So the yin and yang idea is also like localized. One area needs to be balanced. Yeah, kind of. So, okay, let me, let me explain the rest of it and maybe it will make a little more sense too, because it's a really cool concept. So there's, there's your yang, but also you have yin, which is said to be feminine, flexible, receptive, still, and water-like. Um, the yin is what provides nutrients and substances for the body. And if you have strong yin, then the body is fertile and moist. But when your yin is weak, then you can be dry and hot. In traditional Chinese medicine, um, they believe that yin and yang, the balances between these two gives um, way to good health. And I mentioned that it's both of them within you because even though these forces are masculine or feminine, it doesn't really mean that they are gendered, if that makes sense. So we discuss masculinity and femininity in this podcast a lot. And we talk about how it doesn't really define you. There's no definition for anyone as a whole. It's whatever you make of it. And this applies here as well. It applies to the people, to the patients and the actions they might carry out and how it applies their yin and their yang. So this is kind of confusing. So I'll give an example. So when a woman is in childbirth, when she's in labor, she's experiencing both yin and yang. So the early portion of her labor, which is a little more chill, a little more relaxed and still that is channeling yin. While later labor where you're like pushing and it's active and you're getting really hot, that's channeling your yang. So there are two balances in your body that you use at different points of your actions or whatever you're doing, but they're both Mm. represented. And they're always changing as you go through your life and everyone just finds their own personal balance between the two concepts. There's not exactly a recipe for what that balance needs to be. And this concept was portrayed in Chinese medicine where they believed that yin and yang moves in a cycle within the body. And then it's this cycle and the balance that gives way to your chi. Does that make sense? I think so. So, okay. So you can have yin and yang like as a whole mm-hmm. and it changes like throughout your life. And mm-hmm. even in labor, it like changes within like certain processes. Yes. Um, but can you be someone who has like inherently more yin or like inherently more yang? I think so. Yeah. I didn't see anything that said you couldn't per se. Um, yeah. I think so. Just based off of what you said, you said like it, it's like variable and, yeah. and they're not gendered. They're talked about as gendered, but it, I mean, you literally said they're not gendered. So. Right. And it's, I kind of feel like it's like how ev- not, I want to say every other language, but a lot of languages have gendered words but that doesn't mean that mm. like a chair is feminine or masculine, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That's how I kind of think of it. I don't know if that's wrong, but that's like the impression I got. And then whatever that balance okay, is, okay. whatever the yin and yang is doing in your body, that's just your chi. Like your chi overall is just the yin and the yang. Okay. Okay. So as you um, find that balance, you have your chi and then that energy, which is chi travels through your body in specific channels. And these channels lie at various points beneath your skin, and they're called 
Meridians, I think. So I say it. Oh, Meridians. Meridians. Yes. These are the channels and they represent major organs and functions of your body. And there are 12 channels that I could find in Alicia. What do you think some of these channels are? If you're thinking of organs and like important functions of your body. I feel like there's like a stomach channel because everything moves through your gut. Or maybe I'm just thinking about that because we're learning about GI. So everything moves through the gut. Yes, everything. Oh, there's probably a heart, heart energy moment Mm -hmm. um, because love and whatever. (laughs) That's not true. And um, probably like a liver one. Some of them are so random, like spleen. Someone always has like spleen chakras. I don't know. I just made that up. What is it? You're actually, you're doing great. You've got like, all all of those were right. I love this topic. You know a lot more than you think you know. I love it when my far-fetched guesses actually land because they never do. They're landing great right now. So there (laughs) is the stomach, the spleen, small. Yeah, you're right. The small intestine, they really got the GI tract in here. The heart, the bladder, kidney, the gallbladder, the liver, which liver makes sense because, oh my God, have you watched Surgeon's Cut on Netflix? No. Oh, you should watch it. It's really, it's only four episodes long, but it's every episode's about a different surgeon. And one is a liver transplant doctor. She talks about the liver. And it's interesting. She like calls it like the soul of the body because it actually does like, more than any other organ. It was, it was interesting. Oh, I totally believe that. That thing like cleanses your entire existence. Yeah, it's it, it'd be crazy. I don't really like the liver personally, but it is very impressive. So not surprised it has its own meridian. There's also the lung in the large intestine and then the pericardium, which is interesting. Oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Very specific. I know. And the triple warmer. What's that? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> waiting to find out about what, that organ what is the triple warmer i don't know i wonder what block it will show up in <laughs> yes the triple warmer i don't know um there's also extra channels known as the conception and governing channel which run i believe down like the center of your body and in women there is also a channel known as the penetrating vessel okay extra boy. <laughs> all right <laughs> yes <laughs> wonder what that's for <laughs> So yeah, lots of different meridians. Okay, so now we have energy called chi and we have the channels in our body. It's called meridians. Okay, so uh, cool, I guess. How does this all apply to poking you though? Like what does that have to do with acupuncture? So it is theorized that chi can become overabundant and bound up within these channels. Kind of like you said before, like energy can become too concentrated in one area. Be all tight. Mm-hmm. And this can have negative effects on specific organs in the body, specifically the ones that would be tied to those channels. Um, and at these points mm-hmm. with the messed up chi is where an acupuncturist would direct their attention, like placing needles in the body along the channels going to that organ. So yeah, kind of what you're saying about the bound up energy. Mm-hmm. So for example, say your uterus is having some issues. It's bleeding when it shouldn't be. It's cramping in really painful ways. And you're like, oh, I don't like this. And I'm not on my period. This is an issue. So where do you think needles should be inserted? What meridians would you target, Dr. Alicia, for your uterus? Um, I'm not an acupuncturist. 
Um, okay, let me think. Well, they didn't have a uterus channel. No. But I guess like thinking anatomically, maybe I'd do something near like the bladder channel. Maybe I'd do something with that penetrating vessel <laughs> channel that they talked about. Um I don't know if there's a channel associated with blood because like blood is throughout the whole body, but maybe I forgot what all the channels are though. So, <laughs> okay. Those are all good thoughts. I like the blood point. We're going to come back to that later. Cause it's interesting. You brought that up. So look at your intuition, but actually it was believed that abnormal uterine bleeding was due to excess heat. And if you remember heat had to do with yang. So an overabundance mm-hmm. of yang in your liver or oh or a deficiency of it in your spleen or kidney causing the uterine oh. pain. Interesting. Right. But it does make a little sense, at least for the kidney, because some of the things I was reading was talking about how they believed that the uterus had like direct channels to the heart and to the kidneys. Oh, interesting. Okay. So the kidney one kind I guess- of makes sense if you like, if that's being applied to the situation as well the other ones i'm not sure but that kind of brings me to my next point because like we're talking all about these traditional chinese theories but you're probably wondering like what is actually what does acupuncture do in terms of medicine like in terms of physiology and biology acupuncture indeed has measurable scientific effects which is super interesting Mm. so in an animal study i was reading it talked about how acupuncture has mechanical neural hormonal and immune responses like they did acupuncture on a bunch of animals i get apparently yes (laughs) what animals i don't know I don't read the whole. I'm just imagining article. like a rat spa. <laughs> yes, like a little eye mask on no. with cucumbers <laughs> and a little head wrap. Imagine if you did that to your rats in college. Oh my goodness, they would have liked me more than what I was actually doing to them. Yeah, unless you did research with rats. This. Yeah, I got to give them sugar though, so they liked that. Yeah, you were nice to them. Oh, good. Well, anyway, there's animal studies and they had all these different things that they learned from them. So with the mechanical, neural, hormonal, immune responses, that's a lot of different responses to have in the body. Like there's a lot of things that can come from each of those things. So basically a neural response could affect sensations or pain. Hormonal responses can cause a number of physiological functions. Hormones are a big part of how our body works and controls different workings without getting too into it basically right Um, right and immune responses will help you fight infection so it's a lot happening just from acupuncture acupuncture can also be used to treat um, discomfort after chemotherapy so any nausea or pain Mm. it can help with dental pain migraines migraines is a huge one for acupuncture i think right now especially as migraines are starting to be researched more and talked about more and not seen as just being weak or people making it up. Yeah. Um, so acupuncture can help with that. It can also help with labor pain, which I just, I don't know how that would work when you're in labor and you have needles oh in you. That I don't understand. It can also help. I mean, that is kind of interesting. Cause I know that like one thing that can help with labor is like applying pressure to different mm-hmm. points. I was going to say, there's also acupressure, like not puncture pressure. Yeah, so you're pushing yeah, yeah. on the same point you would do acupuncture. So that might apply a little better to labor pain than actual acupuncture. 
I feel like yes, for sure. And then also neck pain, menstrual cramp, like the list goes on of all the benefits to acupuncture. But it especially has shown to have large effects on the female reproductive system and women's health. And this is where I think this is super cool. Mostly because it has something to do with nerves. And um, I just think neuroscience is really cool. So maybe a little biased, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, because the way that acupuncture affects women's health is pretty amazing. At least I think so. Because it helps to treat so many things in vastly different ways than Western medicine does. Because many Western methods are focused on pharmaceutical care, which is a lot of times just covering up the problem in terms of women's health, at least. So example, if a woman's menstrual cycle is off, say they have really heavy bleeding during their period or irregular periods or anything with their cycle, usually the solution is to just take birth control, which is basically just suppressing your own hormones in an effort to make your cycle better. You're kind of just like shoving everything away. Like nothing was ever wrong. And you know, you're all fine now because you have like fake hormones doing the job for you, which is great in the moment for the woman. And like, and a lot of people who it's beneficial for, but in the end, like there's been a lot of studies and a lot of talk. I know recently about like birth control is just bad for you. Like hormonal birth control is long-term, not great for the woman's body. Yeah. It's just not good. So the approach of acupuncture in traditional Chinese medicine is a lot different because instead of pushing the hormones away or covering up the issue, it focuses more on the cyclic nature of the female body because not only did they see the menstrual cycle as cyclic, but they saw a woman's yin and yang as cyclic as well. Like I talked about a little bit earlier, but it was cyclic in the way that the menstrual cycle is like it changed throughout the month, just as your 28 day cycle would. So it explains a little better. I found this cool graph, which I obviously cannot show you guys, but I will explain it to you. So this graph is basically the 28 day menstrual cycle that you would see in any health textbook with like a Mm -hmm. picture of the egg getting bigger and like picture of ovulation and has like the ups and downs of your natural estrogen and progesterone levels has everything that you would see in just like, and if you Google menstrual cycle, like that chart will pop up hundred percent. But also what was interesting in this is it had the varying levels of yin and yang throughout your cycle and how it correlated to each part of your cycle throughout the month, like, and oh, what it was expected to be. Yeah, it was cool. And then also it gave recommendations on how to care for yourself, depending where you're at in your cycle. So like if you're oh, cool, right? that's great. So like if your yang was low, then there would be like certain things you would do because that's just the time of the month where your yang was lower. So, you know, yeah. maybe you were colder because you didn't have that heat and metabolic processes. So you should be doing this to care for yourself and that type of thing. But which I thought was so cool because you're like working with the cycle and understanding how the body's working to form like a treatment plan. Yeah. It's cool. Also, that's dope. That's great. And it's like self done. Like you can look and see where you're at and how you're feeling and you don't have to ask someone what they think. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Very autonomous. I love that like agency aspect. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. I really like that way of thinking about it too. So yeah, you're not just like pushing it down. You're actually like working with the woman, which I think is awesome, but it's also like kind of complicated. Like there's a lot going on with that, but that makes sense. Like medicine is complicated. The human body is complicated. The female body is extremely complicated because of the menstrual cycle and the varying hormones that women experience for a large part of their lives. And I thought this was interesting. And this kind of will bring back to the blood point now 
is that one Chinese physician, um, ancient physician, stated that women's disorders are 10 times harder to treat than men's because, (laughs) yes, a lot harder to treat, because a woman's health, sickness, and treatment are deeply influenced by the idea of blood. Blood is an energetic basis. It flows around the body. It is discharged through menstruation. It feeds the unborn child and is transformed into breast milk. So this physician's referring to blood here, kind of as we were talking about chi earlier and how it's an energy that goes around your body. It's part of yin and yang. Blood was seen as that for women as well. So Mm. some like sources said that women had blood and men had chi. I don't know if that like is an overall statement, but blood was definitely considered a large part of a woman's energy and woman's health as well, which makes a lot of sense. One, because they viewed women bleeding monthly. And like you said, like there's a lot of like components that go into like how women are affected by blood. So I thought that was really cool. So this is, that is cool. it just shows how complex the woman's body is, even that so long ago, they were saying like women's medicine is 10 times harder than like male health because mm-hmm. of how complex the female body is. So when you get to this point of looking at the complexity of the female body, like physicians can go down two paths. They could be afraid of it and shy away from learning more which is kind of how I feel like Western medicine is sometimes, you know, with Mm -hmm. women not being like in research studies and things like that, because they'd rather just not worry about it than actually learn about it. Um, Or they could use the cycles to the patient's advantage and integrate it into their care, which is what I feel like traditional Chinese medicine has done. And Mm. I'll tell you why. So traditional Chinese medicine will look at a woman's cycle as diagnostic signs that can tell them the correct alternative treatments to carry out. So from watching a woman's cycle of yin and yang, you can measure it through body heat and you can observe various symptoms where you can understand a woman's fertility, their ovulation, period symptoms, like anything. Wait, that's so interesting because that is like a thing. Oh, really? That you can, oh yeah, that's like a thing that you should um check your temperature every day and if you do that for a month you'll see like a gradual rise in your temperature like at 14 days when you ovulate mm. and then it'll go down um like through, towards the end of your cycle when you menstruate and that's like a way that in the past they would track women's ovulation to help with pregnancy and fertility oh my god that's super cool so yeah one of the cool interventions and didn't stop with just observing the cycle because you could also treat women's disorders through acupuncture So this kind of goes back to when I was saying nerves are cool. So now we're going to get into nerves and the nervous system. So studies have shown that acupuncture can regulate uterine and ovarian flow through possibly stimulating ovarian sympathetic nerves and supraspinal pathways, which would be a lot to explain like exactly what that is. But basically the nervous system, you have your nerves going out into your body and nerves will go to specific organs and help regulate how that organ responds to different parts of your life. So if you're running from a bear trying not to die, then your organ's going to do something different than if you're just sitting after a meal and relaxing. And those sympathetic nerves are going to tell that organ what they should be doing at that moment in time based on what you are doing. So those are the type of nerves that acupuncture might be stimulating. And Alicia, this is where I want you to use your medical knowledge or 
Okay. Any knowledge you may have. On- <laughs> I have negative knowledge. I swear I'm getting more stupid in medical school. <laughs> it feels that way, but you know so much more. But what do you think? And I know you haven't done like reproduction um, unit yet. And I start my unit tomorrow on reproduction, but just use your best guess of what happens when you stimulate these nerves that are going to your ovaries that are going to your uterus, things like that. If you stimulate nerves, just in general, what, what happens? <laughs> just like super You're, basic. You release neurotransmitters? Yes, you release neurotransmitters. That is the main big point. Oh, okay. <laughs> but wait, what does that have to do with acupuncture? So the acupuncture that is stimulating these nerves is causing the body to release a bunch of hormones, basically, is what they have found in these studies. So the hormones being released by your body because of acupuncture are endorphins, uh, natural opioids, serotonin, and dopamine. So all of these hormones that I mentioned, people probably like, what does this mean? Like what are the effects of these hormones being released? Well, they can one positively influence ovulation and fertility Mm -hmm. because through stimulating menstrual hormones, you can cause the uterus to build a thicker wall And the thicker uterine wall leads to more successful embryo implantation. So that's going to increase your chance of getting pregnant and increase your fertility. The Mm -hmm. opioid release can cause pain relief and can help treat menstrual cramps, which is why acupuncture is one of the treatments for bad cramping. You can also experience anti-inflammatory effects. You can have increased blood flow to the uterus and you can have stress inhibition all from these hormones being released. And the list goes on. Those are all beneficial, especially to fertility. It seems like acupuncture is huge in infertility settings because Mm. especially with stress, like stress can lead to infertility, like really high stress. Um, Yeah. So acupuncture lowering stress can help with that. With the increased blood flow to the uterus is obviously good. Anti-inflammatory, you don't want your uterus or ovaries or anything in your body really to be inflamed. So just all these things help with fertility specifically too, but the list goes on. Like there's a lot of things that happen and I'm not going to dive into it too much because it gets very scientific, but it's really cool. And it's an amazing practice, but from what I can tell, they're not really hundred percent sure, like why this happens, like why these different hormones are being released or these different neurotransmitters are being released Mm. because you would think that the acupuncture points where the needles are being inserted into specific channels of energy would have some type of correlation to physiological function, but they don't always do. There were studies Mm -hmm. that looked at the correlations between nerves in your body or trigger points and how they relate to specific acupuncture points, but there isn't always Mm -hmm. a strong correlation. Like sometimes there's nothing by the acupuncture point that would explain why it would cause a response in the body. One study even looked at like histology slides. So they're looking at microscopic pictures of cells in your body, basically. And they were looking to see if a specific acupuncture point, if the cells were different than any other part in your body, if they had like some special property and they found that they don't, like they look like exactly the same. They looked as they expected. They didn't find anything else, even though that was an acupuncture point like that is used in practice. So it's kind of like a mystery, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. It just kind of shows like how much we don't know about the body. Like 
I feel like Western medicine can sometimes be on their high horse of like, we're correct. This is the right way to practice medicine. Um, yeah. But there's so many other ways to care for someone and to practice health. This kind of shows to me like how far that will reach to different disciplines. But that kind of leads me to the question, like, why does America seem to love acupuncture so much? Because for my research, it turns out acupuncture wasn't even really that popular in Chinese medicine in recent history. It was even outlawed in China in 1949. What? Mm-hmm, when communism became more popular. And they started, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. They started <laughs> to integrate more like Western medicine into their culture and pushed out traditional forms of medicine. So acupuncture mm. was no longer practiced in China. But over in the United States in the 19th century, so the 1800s, physicians were like amazed by acupuncture. They were saying that it could help save patients who almost drowned. They said that they observed that by inserting needles near like painful areas, it relieved the pain. They would even do surgeries completely under acupuncture anesthesia. So they thought it was like super cool. Yeah. And they kind of went away for a while. And then in the 1970s, it started to come back Mm. a bit more in the United States and physicians and alternative practitioners would travel to different countries to learn about acupuncture and bring it back to the United States. Which is really interesting because when I was researching this topic, like I said, it was hard to find historical references to acupuncture or a lot about like specific history, but it was not hard to find where acupuncture is offered for medical care. Because when you look up the topic, like acupuncture and women's health on Google, most of the search results are links to websites of practices like to go get acupuncture, links to major like hospitals such as Harvard, John Hopkins explaining acupuncture and what you should do when you speak to a physician and how to prepare for your appointment, like all these things that are pointing to acupuncture being a common practice in the United States now. I don't know. I was like baffled by this because I think it shows that there's like this need for alternative medicine that's becoming more pertinent, even though like the history is not there. It's not something people are like marveled by because they learned about it through history, like growing up or something like that. It's just becoming something that has so many beneficial uses that there's need for it. At least that's what Mm -hmm. I was seeing. And that's kind of what I want to talk about and talk about alternative medicines and acupuncture and women's health. If you would like to get into that. Yes, I would love to. Okay, let's do it. So we are back. Alicia, as always, let me know what you thought about everything we just spoke about. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, I, it's funny because you were saying that it sounded like I knew a lot, but I didn't know most of that. And I think I've always been curious about how acupuncture works exactly, or like how we think about it. And in terms of yin and yang and balancing energies in our body, but I appreciated just getting that full picture. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple things that stood out to me were what you mentioned about yin and yang and how yin is like more water-like and fluid and um, yang is more heat. Some thoughts I was having were like, oh, so is a woman who 
is like very aggressive or like takes what she wants kind of thing is she viewed as having more yang oh. and then is that a bad thing Ooh. like i don't know i like that question i don't know but yeah that was just like a thought i had i also don't know but that was something i thought about and then also about the fact that you were mentioning that birth control and a lot of medications are western medicine that we have to treat uh, issues relating to women's health mm-hmm. often like cover up the problem instead of trying to work with women's bodies. So that stuck with me too. Yeah. Well, that's actually a great segue. I think it's my first question because as I was researching this and especially the point specifically about the pharmaceuticals, like covering up issues, it kind of brought me back to how you always talk about like the over medicalization of women's health and like childbirth Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it got me thinking like, why do you think that acupuncture and alternative forms of medicine have gained such popularity in Western culture? And do you think it relates to like the over-medicalization of health in general, Mm -hmm. or just like women's health overall? Like, do you think there's a tie to that? I think the answer to that question, or at least my opinion on it, ties back to something that you were mentioning at the end of um, your section about how there is so much need for acupuncture, it seems like, because Mm -hmm. it's so widely found these days. But I guess the question is like, what is that need, right? Like what is this need that acupuncture is filling in our lives that we can't get through Western medicine? And I think something something I wrote down in like big words, as I just said, spiritual is not equal to Western medicine. Mm -hmm. I am someone who does believe in the separation of church and state or like religion and entities Mm -hmm. or the way that we live our lives. But I know that people draw a lot of power and joy and feel very fulfilled through religion and through spirituality. And I think those things aren't incorporated into medicine enough Mm -hmm. if that's something that you believe or that you practice. And so I think spirituality and this idea of energy isn't really incorporated into Western medicine because we see science and spirituality as two separate entities. But I wonder if acupuncture is filling up that void that we have slightly, not filling it, but starting to, Mm -hmm. to bring that idea into Western medicine. Oh, That's kind of where my head was going. I like that idea. And that's interesting because a couple, like I guess a month ago now, we had this seminar at school on spirituality and medicine and it was like three hours long and everyone was like, oh, we have to go to this three hour Zoom seminar on spirituality. Like what? And then it was the best seminar we have had. Everyone was like, didn't even like care what time it was. It was so interesting. And it was talking about Mm. spirituality and medicine and should physicians um, ask their patients if they have any beliefs or want to be treated in any certain way due to their spirituality? And what does that mean for care? And how can physicians work with spiritual leaders? It was very in-depth and it was very interesting because we would talk about various case studies and how it relates to spirituality and how you would approach it from a physician's standpoint and kind of like pointing to why it is important to consider that in care and how it like it adds something to caring for a patient it like really helps you build your relationship with your patient can help make their care more about them I guess and less about like what 
medicine thinks is right. Cause it's a conversation about like, right. you have these beliefs, like how does that affect your care? And like, what can we do about that? Things like that. So that's what mm-hmm. it made me think of. And focusing, I was just going to say also focusing less on like the thing that's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Kind of like this, what we were saying about acupuncture and like women's health is like, oh, it's focusing less on, oh, okay, you're bleeding. And like, this is the problem and more like, okay, this is what's happening to you. How can we work with that and like work to heal you or make you feel better or relieve your pain kind of thing? Yeah, I agree. And I think like what I was saying about the birth control earlier, if that's a solution for like a lot of menstrual issues for women. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's like a very productive solution in terms of medicine yeah. because it does fix it but has so many issues still. Like a lot of women don't like taking hormonal birth control because it has so many long-term effects, but even just immediate effects too, of like depression and weight gain and things that you just don't want to experience in your daily life. And that to me is like why I could see acupuncture getting more popular. Cause if you have the means and ability to receive acupuncture and you're finding then it helps you too, then you're obviously going to want to do something that's not impairing your health, but ultimately just helping it instead of like having this weighted relationship of we're helping you, but we're also like kind of hurting you at the same time, which is what pharmaceuticals right, right. do and a lot. Like, yeah. Like a risk benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. So um, I'll move on to my next question. So I was thinking about how a woman's monthly cycle of menstruation and yin yang are considered to be like forms of diagnosis and can be used to form a treatment plan Um, of various alternative methods in traditional Chinese medicine or whoever is practicing this. But I feel like in Western medicine, it's like much the opposite, which I kind of mentioned before is that women problem is that they're not always subjects in research studies because they'll say that a woman's body is too variable or that like we can't properly study this drug because a woman's body changes too much. So it's too many variables to study instead of saying, well, the woman's body changes so much. We should study drugs like in women specifically, but like women need to be included so that we can understand what's going to happen to the drug because they have cycles. Like, why do you think there's such a cultural difference or like practice of medicine of like why one form of medicine is working like with the body and the other form is scared of it almost doesn't even want to approach it or worry about it. When I first read this question and you, when you sent it to me earlier, um, I did have a hard time with it because I think it is like a difficult question because I don't know the answer and I don't know if anyone does or if there is even just one answer, but where my head went is the roots of different medicine Mm -hmm. and the different worlds in which different forms of medicine have grown up in. So Mm -hmm. I don't even mean like in modern times, I mean like ancient roots of medicine. Mm -hmm. I feel like in ancient times when we didn't have a lot of Western science or like specifically technological advancements, we relied more on physical touch, the different means of caring for someone that could be done through from person to person. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like those cultures that were really advanced in medicine, but in ancient times Mm -hmm. used those more physical grounded techniques to understand what ailments looked like and what it meant to, Mm -hmm. you know, be sick. And I think in doing so, they remained more 
tied to each person individually Mm -hmm. rather than now. I think the issue is that because we want Western medicine to work so widely, which is wonderful. And I have certainly benefited from Western medicine for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think as a result, we've lost a lot of the like personal connection and like the the groundedness that Eastern, a lot of Eastern medicine is like rooted in yeah, is the ideas of energies and being aligned. And some of it might seem ridiculous. It almost delves into the realm of things not being possible or the impossible. But I think that's also a matter of like faith and belief mm-hmm. in certain things. And that's why I think acupuncture works. It's not that it's like a placebo. It's definitely actually working. But for example, like that time that I got acupuncture, when I left it, I didn't feel any different because I didn't believe that it worked. Mm -hmm. And so going into it, and I'm not saying that skeptics could go into it and then not change their mind. They probably could. But I think it's a matter of like belief and faith in that system. And I think Eastern medicines often have individuals coming to them that believe and your mind is so powerful Mm -hmm. that they're able to, but I don't know if that made sense at all, but (laughs) I feel like it's rooted in like ancient origins. That's where I'm sticking. No, I like that because like I said, the way I've always thought about, about like traditional forms of medicine is that they have just been like that way forever and it's worked. So people still do it. And you hear like alternative forms of medicine, whether it originated in Eastern cultures or in the American South or wherever it, they have like true origins. People don't do stuff that doesn't work. They don't have time for that. Right. So I think, I don't know. I thought that was a cool point because when you don't have the means that Western medicine provides now because of technology and just advancements of the 21st century, you're going to use a lot more like hand on patient body like contact and observation and like it's just you and the patient and you're using just like whatever you know whatever you can provide for them which is going to take a lot of observation for the patient compared to now a doctor doesn't even need to see a patient to care for them technically like you should and that's that would be being a great physician but you're not so connected to patients even physicians who are connected to patients and I bet it doesn't even like compare to what it might have been like before medicine was so advanced because before all you had was you yeah yeah and your energy like matters a lot there is interactions of people's energies and that might seem like really silly but (laughs) I like truly believe that I watched the Gwyneth Paltrow (laughs) Netflix show thing and okay I don't know how I feel about about goop oh goop I don't know how I feel about goop but I did watch her episode where they looked like they were literally having seizures because this dude was putting his hand like into their energy channels and like moving it around. And it was crazy. <gasps> That's crazy. So we're not supporting goop, but you should go watch that Netflix episode. Cause it was really cool. Well, it's interesting. I think there's things that we just don't understand about the world and about medicine. And yeah. you're saying about, you have to believe for alternative to medicine to work. And I think if you're not in the right mindset and you're going into something, maybe your energy's off. So then it's not going to work yeah. to like work with your energy, mm-hmm. you know, like I just kept thinking while you were talking to, it would just be so beneficial if they could be integrated because you're saying like, oh, some of the alternative medicine you might think is crazy. Like this isn't going to work. But if you could just take forms of alternative medicine that have been shown to work and people believe in, and it has shown results in people and integrated in. And they're not harmful. And you put it into um, like more Western medicine and have them work together. I feel like that'd be so beneficial to patients. 
of when you're making referrals about pain that you're not sending them yeah. to an anesthesiologist who's going to give them a drug regimen, but you could also offer them an acupuncturist to go visit as well. Yeah. And then the patient can figure out which method of medicine works best for them, but just having the choice to go down an alternative medicine path or down a more like Western modernized medicine path, then you have that choice. And having that be normalized right. too, right? Like, cause there's a lot of people who believe in Eastern medicine, but they don't want to tell their MD US trained physician about it because they think that they're going to be like laughed at mm-hmm. or like that they're not going to be believed or that they're going to be seen as a quack. And I think if we as physicians like did a better job of accepting all forms of medicine and talking about risks and benefits as any medicine has, but just like having more candid conversations with our patients and being more open to having alternative cures, I, I think we would all benefit. Right. And it doesn't mean that alternative medicine doesn't work because you tried one and it wasn't for you. Like how many medications right. do people go through before they find one that is right for them? There's no perfect answer in medicine to treatment. Mm-hmm. It's because everyone's so different and how people react to different treatments is always going to be different no matter what type of medicine you're practicing, I think. Yay! Alrighty, so that um, is all I have for you. I feel like I have learned so much about acupuncture and this by no means covers alternative medicine as a whole. Like alternative medicine is a whole world of other mm-hmm. medical options. So we are in no way making generalizations about it, but it is, I think it's just a segue into that topic through talking about acupuncture and trying to branch out into different cultures and forms of medicine that we don't usually talk about. Yes. And if you know of any form or like any kind of alternative medicine that you want us to dive into and talk about how it relates to women, please let us know because we would love to look into that. And yeah. It's really interesting. And even though it's difficult to research, when I found something that I was like, wow, this works and this is really cool and has so many benefits that people need to know about it, you know? So if you have any ideas, yeah, let us know. And on that note, if you liked this episode or you like the podcast in general, go ahead and subscribe on whatever podcasting app is your favorite. We have no preference which one you subscribe on. And also, mm-hmm. if you have some time, we would love if you would leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's just the best place for that. And if you don't have an iPhone, just tell your friend to leave us a rating and review. Don't worry about it, but that's just the best place to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, while you're at it, you can follow us on our social media. We have an Instagram, Facebook, and you can check out our website for more information about us. Also, our show notes and sources. Our website now has merch so you can get socks. our faces on skirts and <laughs> mugs and socks. Um, and you will make Charlotte and I very, very happy. Yeah. And our website is from skirtstoscrubs.com. Yeah. As also, as our podcast grows, we're interested in doing more collaborations and making bonus content for you all. So if you are someone or if you know someone who is interested in working with us, just shoot us an email or Insta DM us. Um, our email can be, found, can be found on our website. Yes. And lastly, of course, we will end by giving a cheers to the women who fought for us to be where we are today. May we do the same to those who come after us. Yay. Yay, see you next time. See you episode 13.